So last week we started a new series called The Armor of God. The reason we are in this series is because the word of the year that the Lord has given us is warfare. I encourage you to go back and listen to previous messages. We've talked a lot about this. Uh, but we believe the Lord has said that we're going to be encountering more spiritual warfare this year. And how many of y'all can say you've experienced a lot the past two months, past three months? I can say, I mentioned a second ago, it's been the busiest season of Kingdom Church's life. We're, this is our fourth Easter. We're going on four years uh, in August. And so this is the busiest we have ever been. And so we've, and in that season, we've, ex- we've been experiencing a lot of warfare. So we're learning how to fight spiritually. Now, I'm going to say something that I said last week, but I really felt I needed to reemphasize this today. In this spiritual battle, who are we fighting? Are you fighting your spouse? Are you fighting your boss? Are you fighting your kids? You may think they're children of the devil, but they're actually your children. So who are we fighting in this spiritual battle? The devil, right? We're fighting the devil. This spiritual battle is not with people. It is with our unseen enemy, the devil. Ephesians 6.12 says this, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. What does that mean? We're not fighting against humans. We're not fighting against animals. But against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. What does that mean? The enemies we are fighting we cannot see with our physical eyes against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. We're fighting against spirits, demonic spirits who are out to kill us. Yes, they want to kill us physically, but they also want to kill our hope. They want to kill our relationships. They want to kill anything good that God has given us. The devil is eager for you to believe that your problem is the person who is in front of you. Listen carefully to this. The devil is very eager for you to believe that when you have issues, your problem is the person standing in front of you. As long as he can get us to focus on who is in front of us, he can work behind the scenes. We learned this strategy last week. I need to remind you of this. This is a strategy. The devil's strategy is to attack us in our thought life with lies. This is, you can leave that up for a moment. This is his strategy. He doesn't come at us with a gun. He doesn't come at us with a knife. He comes at us with thoughts. I encourage you to go back and listen to the sermon last week. We could talk more about this. He comes at us with lies. This is his strategy. We're not ar- so in reality, we're not arguing with people. Think about, the, think about the situations you're going through right now. You're not arguing with a person. You're arguing with the belief system they hold. Whatever it's about the kids, about your marriage, about a job, about your performance at your job, you're arguing with the belief that they hold. So you may ask, well, what's the difference? It's still coming out of their mouth. It's still a thought in their mind, right? You may think, well, so what does it matter? Well, let me put the scenario before you. Think about the things, if you're married, think about the things you and your spouse argue about. There's three big things, money, sex, and communication. How many of you would agree those are probably the three biggest things that you disagree about? Money, how we handle money, our sex life, and communication. Wives, how many of you all are frustrated with your husbands? You would wish that they communicate a little bit better. Or the, yeah, whoa, man, I came alive there. <laughs> okay, let's talk, about, let's talk about money for a second. Imagine uh, that, that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to the women because uh, this is how I have it written out. Um, you know the reason, couples, you have uh, um, disagreements about money? It's because you believe one thing about it 
and he believes another thing. Pretty obvious, okay? Consider this. Maybe he grew up living paycheck to paycheck. And so he doesn't really understand the concept of saving money or the need of, of having uh, a nest egg or something to that, to that effect so that you can be, be, pre- be prepared for the future. Okay, so let's say that's his opinion. Your opinion is, hey, you grew up uh, saving money, you grew up um, being able to go places and do things, and so this idea of living paycheck to paycheck and treating money that way doesn't fly with you. This is where the devil comes in and begins to sow discord. Ladies, he'll tell you, what an idiot. Who lives paycheck to paycheck? Ooh, am I stepping on some toes? Who lives paycheck to paycheck? That, don't you know that we could have another, he could lose his job just the way everyone did a couple years ago and, we can, and then we'd not be okay? You know, what, you know what the devil will tell him? He'll say, she is way too paranoid. Yeah, maybe you live paycheck to paycheck, but you're here. She married you, didn't she? Oh, man, you got no argument after that one. <laughs> this is why marriage counseling is really important. You figure out all these things before you jump into a relationship with somebody. So the devil comes in and begins to sow discord. Let me ask you this question. Do you think God wants you to think your spouse is an idiot? Okay, but we have those thoughts in our heads, right? Okay, he, he wants us to think, to think these things. What happens if you dwell on that thought long enough? You'll start treating him like an idiot. How long can somebody be put down that way and you not have problems? Not very long. You see how the enemy comes in and begins to sow division? Throughout this process, the devil convinces you to agree with his opinion about your spouse and not about God's opinion. That's how it happens. The enemy will come in and place thoughts that may, there may be some truth to it, but he'll make you come to a conclusion that you should dishonor your spouse, not respect them, maybe do something else, maybe leave them. He'll make you come to, he'll look at these truths. Those things are truths about the husband and the wife, but it'll make you come to a conclusion that it's not God's. What do you think God would say to you about your spouse? Wives, he may say, you know what? You need to have a little bit more grace on your husband. Maybe he hasn't shared some of the hardships he's gone through growing up. And maybe that's why he treats money the way he does. Vice versa. Husband, maybe the Lord will say, hey, your wife really just cares. She's seen what happens when we don't, when, when, when the family doesn't save, we don't steward money. And so when we look to the Lord for wisdom, he'll help us have understanding for our relationships. But the devil, on the other hand, wants to divide. He wants to steal kill and destroy. What did we learn about last week? That if he can control our thoughts, then he can control our words. If he can control our words, then he can control our actions. And if he can control our actions, he will control our lives. It starts in our minds. He wants you to believe that he's not real. He wants you to believe that he doesn't really attack. If you can get your mind, he's got your life. Here's another scenario real quickly. Imagine you're praying about something. You're praying for salvation for your family, praying for healing or praying for a financial miracle. As you're praying, the devil begins to attack. What does he say? He says, listen, if God doesn't answer this prayer, he doesn't really care about you. If God doesn't answer this prayer, he doesn't love you. He can, but he doesn't. How many of you have heard that lie? He can do whatever, he can do whatever he wants, but he doesn't just do whatever he wants. As you were praying, the enemy will begin to feed, feed us these things that are not true. 
Listen, if we believe those thoughts from the devil and God doesn't answer our prayer request the way we want, the devil has already set us up to fall. I was just talking with uh, someone a couple weeks ago who lost a family member and they love the Lord. But I, as they were talking, I could hear how they had listened to the enemy and said, how come God didn't save my loved one? And it's, okay, it's natural to have those thoughts. It's okay to wrestle with those things, but you have to be very careful because you can come to the wrong conclusion. How many people have been hurt by God, offended by God, or even angry at God, or even left God because of what I just described? So many people. This is how the enemy attacks. He speaks lies to our heart. Yes, he'll, he'll, he'll share a lot of truth, but he'll insert a lie and cause us to go the wrong direction. What's the truth about the devil's false arguments? Even if God doesn't answer our prayers, we're still going to be okay. Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. How many things? All things work together for good. Verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? There's this old saying that, I lo- that, that is true. It, if it's not good, it's not over. Listen, if you're going through the valley right now, you're going through some of the hardest things in your life and you don't see any good around, keep walking, keep running, keep going, keep trusting in God. If it's not good, it's not over. The devil wants you to bail on your faith. If you do that, then God can still have mercy. God is still merciful. He still rains his mercy on people that are not saved, but you will not experience the fullness of God's blessing unless you keep walking in faith. You see how, the, how God's truth can combat the Satan's lies? Look at this statement. Our battle is not against people. We are fighting an enemy who is trying to feed us lies about God and about one another. I just, I just described that a second ago. So that we rebel against God and have a broken relationship with him and other people. That is his strategy. He wants broken relationship with us and God and us and other people. This is what he did at the beginning. At the beginning, Genesis 3, he, 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 he spoke this lie to Eve. Did God really say that if you eat of this tree, you'll die? God didn't really say that. He placed doubts about what God said, about God's character. And in the end, he caused separation between God and Adam and Eve. This is, this is his strategy. So what do we do? Real quickly, just to recap from last week, what do we do? Whenever we experience a situation that is charging our emotions, we don't know what to think, we need to take a step back and say, God, I know my husband is saying some of the same things again. I know my wife is. I know my boss. Father, help me not to just get into it with them, but help me to see what they're trying to say. Maybe I'm not seeing something clearly. Maybe they're not seeing something clearly. Father, would you help us to get on the same page so we can have a good relationship because the enemy wants to divide us. So we have to learn to take a step back and not just respond and not see the person in front of us uh, as our enemy. They're not our enemy. The devil's our enemy. We have to remember that. So why the armor of God? We need God's armor to be able to recognize and to defeat the devil's attacks. That's why we're in this. So we can recognize it and defeat. Each piece of armor helps us with that. Last week we talked about the belt of truth. I'm not going to get into that. The first reason it was the, fir- the, the reason why it was the first piece of armor is because it's the first one they put on. 
You have to understand what truth is. You have to know God's truth if the rest of the armor is to work. That's why it's called the belt of truth. The, it holds together the rest of the armor. Okay. Today, the breastplate of righteousness, the last few minutes. This is the second piece of armor mentioned. Look at Ephesians 6.14. It says this. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Go ahead and put that picture on the screen. This is what uh, the Roman soldiers would wear and even soldiers throughout history. But during, the, uh, during this time, Paul wrote to the Ephesians and the other churches describing uh, a piece of armor that they would have recognized by the Roman soldiers. This uh, piece of armor was made up of overlapping pieces of metal. If uh, you were just a regular, regular um, citizen, you would, a regular uh, soldier, you would have a, an armor made out of iron. But if you were wealthy, it would be made out of bronze. It protected the front, uh, uh, the front, your, your chest and stomach, and then it protected also the back and also the shoulders. The reason why this was important, I could probably figure it out, it protected the vital organs, the lungs, the heart, liver, kidneys, etc. How does the breastplate protect us in a spiritual battle? It protects our most important vital organ, spiritual organ, our heart. This is why it's important, because it protects the heart. Why is protecting our heart important? Look at this, Proverbs 4.23. It says this, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. How many of y'all have heard this verse before? Guard your heart. It determines the course of your life. Let me say it another way. Um, if we, if we are, want to control the direction of our life, think about this. Some of us are struggling with our lives on, on where we're going and all this. If you want to control where your life is going, the Bible says you have to protect and guard your heart. This is why this piece of armor is important. We will have no control over our lives if we don't protect it. There's a story in Matthew where Jesus rebukes a group of people called the Pharisees. Just real quickly, the, uh, Jesus was with his disciples and the disciples were eating. They're getting ready to eat, but they didn't wash their hands. During that time, and it wasn't just like a washing your hands to clean your hands. There was like a ceremonial washing that they had to do. Well, they didn't do that. So the Pharisees came up to Jesus and said, Jesus, how come your disciples don't wash their hands the way according to the tradition, excuse me, of our elders? How come they don't wash their hands? And Jesus in turn replies, and how come you Pharisees um, reject God's commandments so that you can uphold your tradition? What he meant was during that time, the Pharisees were dishonoring their parents or they uh, had a tradition that allowed them to not take care of their parents. And so they, they built up this tradition, and in the process, they rejected God's commandment. So basically, Jesus is saying, you guys are care, care about traditions, do you? Well, how about the tradition that makes you disobey God's commandment? So he, he exposed their hypocrisy. And then he addresses their complaint. He says, okay, you think that if they don't wash their hands, they're going to be unclean? Let me show you what it means to be unclean. Matthew 15, verse 10 says this. Then Jesus called to the crowd to come in here. And he said, listen. And try to understand. I love Jesus. I feel like he asks me that all the time. Listen, Linda, listen. <laughs> try to listen to what I'm about to tell you. They're going to save yourself a lot of heartache. Verse 11, it's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you. You are defiled by the words that come out of your mouth. He says this is the actual issue. It's not because you're not washing your hands. Yeah, you probably can get sick, actually. 
Time out. Um, I, uh, I'm a huge advocate for washing your hands. Um, please do that. I think COVID will stay away from the Permian Basin and other diseases that come along. Wash your hands. Okay. <laughs> I really believe that. I never get sick. I credit that to the Lord, but a lot of it to washing my hands. Okay. Verse, verse 15. Then Peter said to Jesus, explain, explain to us the parable that says people aren't defiled by what they eat. He says, I don't understand what you're saying, Jesus. 16, don't you understand yet? I feel like Jesus said that a lot during his ministry. You don't understand? You've been walking with me. You don't get it? Anything you eat passes through the stomach and then goes into the sewer. But the words you speak come from the heart. That's what defiles you. That's what contaminates you. That's what will actually make you sick. For from the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual morality, theft, lying, and slander. These are what defile you. Eating with unwashed hands will never defile you. Again, Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. I want you to go back, if you can bring up verse 19 again from Matthew 15. From the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual morality, theft, lying, slander. He says, the heart is what can defile you. The reason we protect our heart is because if we're not careful, these things will come out of our heart. Not just thoughts, but also words and then actions. Think about this. What are some of the consequences, not just of murder, we already know what the consequence for that is, but of adultery, sexual morality, lying, theft? One of the things that stuck out to me is this, broken trust. One of the reasons you want to guard your heart is because if you're not careful, the enemy will put a thought into your mind. Let's talk about uh, adultery, sexual morality, lying. Put a thought into your mind about why you're, you married the wrong person or your spouse is not meeting your needs and you need, to get, you need to get fulfillment from someone else. If you see that through to completion, you have now entered into a broken relationship. And y'all that have been through that, how hard is it to come back from that? It's very hard. The enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And if we're not guarding our heart, we're open to all these things. That's why it's pivotal that we guard ourselves. We must guard our heart. The devil is after your heart because he wants to control what you're passionate about. There's a verse in Matthew 6 that says this, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let me say it this way. Whatever you treasure in life, that's where you'll find your heart. We talk about this. We, we talked about this, how the enemy wants to speak to our thought. He wants to put thoughts in our mind and make us think a certain way about situations. But if he can control what we're passionate about, then he can control what we think about. And then we go down the list and then he controls our lives. The devil is after, your, this is why we have to cover it. This is why we have to guard it. This is why I have this breastplate right here. We have to cover our heart so that the enemy cannot get to it. Go back to that scenario about um, the couple who is fighting with money. <laughs> Some of y'all sitting here today. Um, that was a joke. <laughs> Think about the man who lived paycheck to paycheck. Okay, let's say he's not as serious. Let's say in that situation wasn't that serious. But there are some people, because they grew up living paycheck to paycheck, they want to work more hours or work more, um, uh, maybe another job, so that their kids can have the life that they didn't have. They're doing this 
for a good, for, they have great motives. They want to take care of the family. Is that right? Many of us that have work long hours or extra jobs because we want to take care of our family. That's a great, that's great. But what happens is the enemy will insert this lie. Hey, you're not working enough hours. Hey, yeah, you have this much, but what if, what if the economy goes down? What if this, what if that? And it gets you to spend more time at work than with the people you're actually working for. He'll get us to be passionate about work and get our passion off of what we, what's really important, our family. What's the truth in all that? Just to kind of, the truth is God provides for us. Yeah. We work the hours he wants us to work. We work the jobs he wants us to work and trust that he'll take care of everything else. But the enemy comes in, he wants us to be passionate about our job because we think we're helping our family. But in reality, our kids are going to grow up and say, hey, dad wasn't at home. He was never home. And I'll do more, I'll do more destruction to their hearts than them not being able to go to Disney World or them not being able to be in this sport. Philippians 4.8, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, excellent, worthy of praise, think about these things. Go back to the first one, whatever is true. I love this. We have to go to Jesus to show us what we need to do. Only he know, knows what is true for our lives. Only he knows what is best for us. We can come to that conclusion of working another job or doing this and doing that, but only he knows what is true. That's why hearing his voice is so important. God, what are you saying to me in this moment? I don't know what to do. I've been, ha- I've been in the same argument with my spouse for years, and we can't seem to get past it. Father, what is true? Would you expose my heart? In the meantime, as you're working on my heart, Father, would you work on their heart? Would you show us the truth so that we can have a restored relationship, whatever is true. Okay, so I already established we need this piece of armor, but how does righteousness protect a heart? Okay, well, what is righteousness? This is a simple definition. Righteousness is right standing with God. It's a simple way to define it. Did you know you were not born with right standing with God? You were born an enemy, an enemy of God. Romans 5.10 talks about that. So how do we get in right standing? Because unless Jesus would have came, we would have died on our sins and spent an eternity without him. So how do we get righteousness? This is a small part of the Easter story that I'm going to mention. Romans 3, verse 21, I believe. It says this, But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him, righteous with him, without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets. 22. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. I love this. This is true for the, the person who hardly ever lies, hardly ever sins, and the person who is a murderer. It's true for everybody. For everyone has sinned, and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Verse 24. Yet God freely and graciously declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. Verse 25. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God, righteous, when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This is how we put on righteousness. When we accept that there is nothing that we could do to be made righteous, it was only what Jesus did on the cross. I remember the first time I got this revelation. I was going through a divorce. I was 20, 22 years old. And... I grew up in a great family, loved the Lord, but along the way, and I love the Lord. Y'all that have known me since I was a teenager, I've, I've, I feel like I've done my best to just love the Lord. 
But along the way, the devil, through some teaching and doctrine, got me to believe that in order for Jesus to fully accept me, I had to live right all the time. So whenever my marriage was falling apart, this, this standard of righteousness that I had was crumbling. And honestly, I was having an identity crisis. I did not know what to do with, with myself because I thought, how is Jesus going to see me? How are people going to see me? How am I going to see myself? And so there was this righteousness. I remember one, one day without going into all the details, the Lord showed me that, Josh, although your marriage may fall apart, which it did, although it may fall apart, I still love you. And I don't see you any differently because you put, my, put your faith in me. I remember this weight just coming off of me, and I saw everything completely brand new. One thing about the breastplate of righteousness is it comes on second after you put on the belt. The reason, one of the reasons it does that is because there's a, a latch that, that latches on from the breastplate onto the belt. The reason it does that is because if you don't, it's not latched onto the belt. All the weight of righteousness is on your shoulders. Listen. It's not your righteousness. It's too heavy. You cannot do enough things to be right, made right with God. You have to rest your righteousness on truth. That Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And that's free for everybody. I'm telling you, that revelation transformed my life. But listen to this. God's righteousness makes way for eternal life. But accepting his righteousness alone does not protect us from Satan's attacks. It's not just right standing with God that protects us, but right living, living his way that protects us from his attacks. This is really important. Yes, the right, uh, taking on Jesus' righteousness takes all the weight off your shoulders. I felt that. But it's not just right living that, right, uh, right, um, right believing, what did I say? Right standing, but it's right living that does this. So this is the most important question. How does righteousness protect us from Satan's attacks? Listen very carefully. When the devil attacks us in our mind with thoughts, tempting our hearts to follow unhealthy desires, you can put it up. If our heart is covered with righteousness, right living, that means if it's committed to living our lives God's way, then there is no room left in our hearts to be tempted. Leave that up. If our hearts, if we cover our hearts with righteous living, righteous thinking, being consumed with doing things his way, day and night, thinking about how we can honor and please God and not follow our own passions, our own desires, our own dreams, there leaves no room for the enemy to attack you. This is what it means to put on the breastplate of righteousness. There's no room. If you were consistently, think about some of the things you've been obsessed with. I was obsessed with golf for a long time. I still love golf. But um, I remember one time I spent like two or $3,000 on golf equipment. I had everything I needed, everything. And I still found myself going to the internet to look for things. And one day I woke up, I thought, you are obsessed with this. You, you, you're go- you've gone too far. You've gone too far, Josh. My wallet was saying that you've gone too far. When you're obsessed with something, you don't think about anything else. When we're obsessed with living righteously and putting on righteousness, there is no, I'm telling you, there's no room to be tempted. There's no room for the enemy to come against you. So how do we put on the breastplate of righteousness? Very, um, uh, very clearly, we, um, 
by following Jesus with all of our hearts. All of our hearts. It cannot be divided. Look at Psalm 119, verse 9. It says this, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. That's the belt of truth. That's the first piece of armor. How can we be pure? How can a man, young man, young, uh, old man, a middle-aged man, a woman, girl, how can we uh, keep our ways pure? By guarding it with truth. Going to truth. Verse 10, with my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. That's the breastplate of righteousness. With my whole heart I seek you. Not half-heartedly, not just during Easter, not just during Christmas, not just on the weekends. With my whole heart I seek you. Psalm 1 verse 1. Oh, the joy of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers. But they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it. How often? Day and night. Listen, we read that and we think, oh, that's for the, that's for the pastor. That's for the priest. That's for, no, that's for every person who calls Jesus Lord. We meditate on his word day and night. When you're up in the middle of the night, you don't know why you woke up. The Lord is probably trying to get you to talk to him. Open up your Bible, read a little bit, pray. We day and night meditate on him. What are the results of that? They are like the trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither and they prosper in all they do. You want to be able to bear good fruit in every season? You want to be able to even go through the valley, go through the worst time of your life and still have good fruits that you can eat of and your family can eat of? Meditate on his word day and night. Cover your heart with righteous thinking, righteous living. Cover your heart with righteousness and the enemy will never have a chance to come against you. Verse four, but the wicked are not like so. They are like worthless chaff scattered by the wind. And we know people like that. We too were once were people like that. But if we will cover our hearts with righteousness, if we with all of our hearts will follow him. One of the reasons this is our vision is because this is what the disciples did. They met Jesus They were introduced to him. Jesus came up to them and said, hey, follow me. They heard his voice. They heard the commandment and they they had a choice. Were they going to drop everything in their life, their job, their livelihood, their families? Were they going to leave everything and follow him? Following Jesus, you cannot follow him half-heartedly. It doesn't work. You'll leave yourself up open. This is why Jesus was adamant because he wasn't just a jealous God. He wasn't just a jealous man that wanted all their other attention. He knew the enemy was going to start attacking and that they had to follow him wholeheartedly or else they would fall away. We, cut, we put on the breastplate of righteousness when we follow him.